بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Today, insha'Allah ta'ala, we continue our study about sign number 10, which is fighting with the Mongols. After the death of Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi, rahimahullah, three of his sons inherited his sultanate. Al-Fadil was the governor of Damascus, Uthman was the governor of Egypt, and Ghazi was the governor of Aleppo, and Al-Malik Al-Adil, Salah al-Din's brother, was the governor of Jordan. Al-Fadil was the official sultan. Disagreement between the brothers took place. That gave an opportunity to Al-Malik Al-Adil to take over in Egypt and put his son Al-Kamil as the governor of Egypt. A major crusade arrived to Egypt in 615 in an attempt to destroy the Islamic forces in Egypt in order to recapture Al-Qudus. During this crusade, Al-Malik Al-Adil died and his son continued leading the Islamic forces of Egypt. This crusade failed as Muslims showed unity and a high level of perseverance. So they were forced to leave Egypt in 618. After that, Frederick led another peaceful crusade to the Middle East. He signed a 10-year treaty with Al-Kamil. According to the treaty, Al-Qudus to be turned over to Frederick and remained unfortified and Muslims will be allowed entry. After signing the treaty, there was a high level of disunity and disharmony among the Ayyubid governors. Before the end of the ten years, another crusade was underway to take Al-Qudus by force. But Al-Malik al-Nasir Dawood, one of the governors in Jordan, with the help of other Ayyubid governors, moved to Al-Qudus and seized it. After that, disagreement continued between the Ayyubid family, specifically between Al-Salih Ismail, the governor of Damascus, and Al-Salih Ayyub, who became the governor of Egypt. As-Salih Ismail solicited the help of the Crusaders against As-Salih Ayyub. They agreed conditional upon turning Al-Qudus back to them and he did. He turned Al-Qudus back to them. Can you imagine this? This person agreed to work with the Crusaders and turn Al-Qudus back to them in order for them to help him against his brother in faith in a different state. 
the masses and the scholars were upset with him. One of the scholars who spoke against the actions of As-Salih Ismail was Al-Iz bin Abdul Salam. Al-Iz bin Abdul Salam spoke in Damascus against the action of As-Salih Ismail. Therefore, afterwards, Al-Iz bin Abdul Salam was not welcomed by the government of Damascus to remain in Damascus. Thus, he moved to Egypt. Also, many fort commanders left Damascus and joined As-Salih Ayyub, As-Salih Ismail and the forces of the Crusaders formed a coalition to fight As-Salih Ayyub of Egypt. As-Salih Ayyub solicited the help of some of the commanders of the Far East who arrived to Sham fleeing the Mongols who started raiding Islamic cities and states in Central Asia. Those forces were able to recapture Al-Quds from the Crusaders and continued their march to join the forces of As-Salih Ayyub. In 642, a tremendous battle happened. As-Salih Ayyub with his forces were victorious. That enabled them to seize control of Sham again and reprimand those who cooperated with the Crusaders. Due to this defeat, another crusade, the seventh and the last crusade, moved from Europe they arrived to Egypt in 647 under the leadership of Louis IX. In a major battle, the forces of As-Salih Ayyub were victorious, but As-Salih Ayyub died during the battle. Babers appeared as one of the strongest commanders. I will give you some background information about Babers. He was born in a city north of the Black Sea. He was captured by the Mongol warlords with their invasion of Babers' hometown. He was sold as a slave to Egypt where he ended up in the possession of the Ayyubid Sultan. He was trained as a military person and soon stood out for his abilities. When he returned to the Sultan's court, he was appointed as the commander of his bodyguard. He led the Ayyubid army against the Crusaders under the leadership of Louis IX of France at Mansoura. The Crusader army was crushed and Louis IX was captured and then released for a large ransom and a promise of him not to fight the Muslim again. After the Battle of Al-Mansura, the power in Egypt shifted to Al-Mamluks. So who are Al-Mamluks? Mamluks were slaves that were meant to form a solid foundation for the ruler of a country. Tribal frictions, along with weak states, had resulted in numerous revolutions in many states. 
The system of Mamluks intended to change this. Young boys were enslaved in countries far away and then underwent rigid training before they joined the army of the state. After the battle of Al-Mansurah, the power shifted to the Mamluks and one of them became the Sultan and they established what is known as the Mamluki phase. The Islamic world was very weak and divided to many self-ruling states and principalities under the umbrella of the Abbasid Caliphate. The leaders for the most part were concerned about their own gain. Meanwhile, the nomadic tribes of the Mongols were united under the leadership of Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan, who led his forces through Central Asia Islamic states, committing a great deal of atrocities against Muslims. After his death, Hulegu, Holako, continued the march. Small Islamic cities were terrified, so much so that they would help the Mongols against other Muslim states in effort to protect themselves. The Caliph in Baghdad did not do anything about this imminent danger. He did not spend money to strengthen the army, Whereas Hulegu was very keen to gain technological edge over his enemies. History tells us an interesting story that reflects the Caliph's mindset and that of Hulegu's. The governor of Mosul received two messengers. One from Hulegu asking him weapons and catapults and one from Al-Musta'sim, this caliph, asking him to send him a female singer whose voice was known to be very beautiful. So as you can see, the caliph was a very careless and a foolish person. When Baghdad fell in the hands of the Mongols, they killed over one million Muslims and looted the entire city and destroyed its legacy of books. When Hulegu captured the Caliph and forced him to dig out all the gold and all the riches that were buried inside the Caliph palace, he asked him, why you did not spend this wealth to fortify the city and strengthen the army? But the Caliph's minister was Ibn al-Alqami, who had an agreement with Hulegu and convinced the careless, foolish Caliph that Hulegu would preserve his life and the lives of his entourage and family. But Hulegu did not. Actually, the Mongols believed in a myth that if the blood of the leader is spilt, he would come back to retaliate. So they placed the caliph in bags and covered him with rugs and then kicked him until he died without any of his blood dripping on the floor. 
It was all in a bag and sucked in the rugs. After the Mongols captured Baghdad, they captured a sham from the Ayyubid rulers. As Louis IX, remember Louis IX who was captured in Al-Mansura and released with the promise that he would not fight the Muslims again? Louis IX was in contact with Hulegu and he encouraged him to enter the Islamic land. One of Hulegu's wives was a Christian. Haythum, the Armenian Christian king, was a major help to the Mongols. He himself participated in capturing Aleppo and burning its major masjid. So here I want you to understand when the crusaders failed to control the Muslim land, they helped and they encouraged the Mongols to invade the Muslim land. The Mongols occupied three quarters of the Islamic land. At that time, one of the greatest Muslim leaders in the history of Islam emerged. He had pride in his religion, and in fact he rescued his ummah. The leader was the victorious king Saif al-Din Qutuz. The Mongols under Hulegu Khan had captured and destroyed Baghdad. Later Hulegu sent his delegation to Saifuddin Qutuz in Cairo demanding his surrender. When he received the letter, Qutuz assembled the commanders and the scholars to discuss the matter with them. The letter said, We are made from God's anger. He employed us upon the ones that he is displeased with. Take example of those before you. Surrender to us. Otherwise you will regret it. We do not mercy anyone. You cannot escape our swords. Our spears are penetrating, our swords are like lightnings, our hearts are like mountains, our numbers are like sands. Forts cannot hide you, your prayers will not be answered. We have demolished the land, orphaned the children, tortured the people and killed them, made their honor despised and their leaders captives. Can you think of any similarities between what you heard now and how the crusader historian described capturing Al-Quds the first time where he said our soldier with a drawn swords ran through the city nor did they mercy anyone. Remember that? There are similarities between the Mongols' atrocities and the Crusaders' atrocities. And then the letter says, Do not think that you can escape from us. After a while you will know what is coming to you. Qutuz, 
who was raised according to the Prophet's teachings had a different reply than that of other Muslim leaders. You know what he did? He killed the delegation and left their corpses hanging in the capital, lifting his soldiers and people's spirit on one hand and putting down his enemies and that of their spies and loyalists on the other hand. He started preparing his people with the weapon of belief and unity prior to arming them with the weapons of steel. To achieve unity, Qutuz allied with a fellow Mamluk commander, Babers, who had fled Syria after the Mongols captured Damascus. The Mongols attempted to ally with the remnant of the Crusader Kingdom of Jerusalem now centered on Acre. But Pope Alexander IV forbade this. Those Crusaders remained neutral. Also, Qutuz threatened them that if they would not remain neutral, he would take them out before he fights the Mongols. Also, Qutuz, knowing the important role scholars play and their influence on the masses, sought their help and support and made them his close counselors and advisors. He asked them to supplicate for victory and to urge the people to stand for their religion. The most renowned scholar who contributed to this cause was Al-Uz bin Abdussalam, who left Syria and moved to Egypt. Qutuz sought from him a religious verdict, a fatwa, which will allow him to impose taxes on the public in order to equip the Muslim army. Al-Iz bin Abdussalam told him that he and the rest of his commanders had to spend all of their wealth first and if they still need money after that, they can impose taxes on the people. Sultan Qutuz and his commander Babers with the Muslim forces from Egypt and from Sham who fled Damascus after it fell in the hands of the Mongols marched out from Cairo, passing through the remnant of the Crusader Kingdom of Jerusalem and camping outside Accra. The nobles in Accra offered their support, although the Knights Templar preferred to support the Mongols. Babers wanted to capture Accra at the same time, but Qutuz refused to attack them because they were neutral. On Friday the 15th of Ramadan, 658, both armies finally met at Ain Jalut with both sides numbering about 20,000 men. The Muslims drew out the Mongol horsemen with a faint retreat and were almost unable to withstand the assault. Qutuz, 
rallied his troops for a successful counter-attack with horsemen reserves hidden in a nearby valley, motivating them and screaming, Wah Islamah! The Mongols were forced to retreat and then defeated. And Hulegu deputy Katbuka was captured and then executed. After this victory, the forces of Mamluks continued fighting against both the leftover crusaders and chased off the Mongols and took a sham over from them. In 662, Baber sent his forces led by his general Qalawun to Armenia to retaliate from the Christian Armenian king Haythum who participated in burning the major masjid in Aleppo. In 690, Akka was captured during the reign of Al-Ashraf Khalil, the son of Qalawun, thus ending the presence of the Crusaders in the Middle East. So three major Islamic powers took turns in fighting the Crusaders. The first one was Imad al-Din Zanki and his son Nur al-Din Mahmud. The second one was Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi and then the Ayyubi governors after him. And the third one was the Mamluks. The Mongols came back to enter Sham again, supported by the Christian Crusaders, during the reign of Qazan, who sent his commander, Qaltusha, who pretended to be a Muslim, to enter Sham. In 702, the Mongols were defeated in the Battle of Shakhab, in which Ibn Taymiyyah was not only a great soldier, but also a great motivator to governors, soldiers, and individuals. The Mongols came back again under the leadership of Taymurlank, who was born in Kush in 736, now a city northern Uzbekistan, and died in 806 on his way to China. He started his wars by overpowering his opponents in Turkestan, then he controlled Central Asia, he raided Syria, captured Aleppo, then Damascus, then Baghdad, then he raided Asia Minor. He was an extreme Shia. He formed a state known as the Taymuriya state that fell apart after his death. Brothers and sisters, the Turks were a powerful race weaved into the Islamic rope. Many of them were instrumental in protecting Islam and leading the Ummah. And many of them were instrumental in bringing untold amount of suffering to the Muslims as if they were a curse from Allah when the Muslims did not follow the teaching of Al-Islam. They came exactly as our beloved Prophet said about them. 
their faces resemble leathered shields. Their eyes are small, their faces are wide. They wear clothing that made from hair, and they wear shoes that are made from hair. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us to that which is best, and we continue talking about the signs of the hour in future lessons. وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد